Go with me to Revelation 21. Now, you, you may be noticing if you've been following along with us in this series that we're getting pretty close to the end. We've been hanging around here in the uh, last few chapters, um, and now we only have one more week to go. And so we're here at the end, really. Uh, this, is, this is what I like to call the end game of the end game. All right, This is the end of the end. Uh, because we're, we are down to the last two chapters, and, and as I have studied these last two chapters, not that I haven't looked over them before, but really given myself to these last two chapters, I'm beginning to be convinced that they may be, and this is not just to make, make today's message you know, climactic or something, but, but they may be the most important words said in the Bible. You know how this works. The end can change everything, can it? We've already seen how this works. And I was, uh, I was watching Guardians of the Galaxy yesterday. Uh, the second one, I think. And, and uh, it, was just, you know, it was on. My, my kids were watching it. And I came in and I just got sucked in. Because I like Chris Pratt and all. And I think he's funny in that. <clears throat> um, I think that's the guy's name, right? Okay, good, I got some okays. And at the end, this guy that played in another show, he was Merle, I don't know what his name is, he's got a blue face on this one. You know, he does something at the very end that sort of redeems his whole life. Like, he hadn't lived a great life. He didn't do so well. Didn't do so well raising this kid that wasn't his, all this, but he got it done. But at the end, he makes this choice, this decision, that really changes Every way you look at him from then on. And you know what? Life is like that. Isn't it? Have you noticed that? You can know a person for 15, 20 years. And one thing that they do, you say to them, who are you? Our actions, even later on, can dramatically change how we see the story. And the last things we do are of particular Importance, And this is why in the ancient world, when you wrote a story about somebody's life, you always focused on the end. There's a great focus on the last actions and words of a person. And this is why in the Gospels, you'll notice they, they fly through 30 years of Jesus' life. But then... When it comes down to the last week, you get chapters upon chapters on one week. Why? Because what you do at the end matters. And this is the end. Chapter 21, chapter 22, this is the end of the end. Like a couple of times you thought it was the end, but now it's the end. Like this is the final finale. Let's look here and the reading is a bit truncated. And thankfully so, because I'm having to, having to time myself here. I'm, I'm aware um, that we're running behind to some degree, but that's okay. The Holy Spirit has something to say. And I, and I want you to be present with where we are right now. I, and I really believe, I, I'm not just saying that. Revelation 21, I'm going to do verse 10. And we've already heard this, but follow along with me here in your Bible. 21.10, and then we'll bounce down to 22 to 27. And then jump over to 22, the first five verses. And he carried me away. This is John. John the revelator. John the beloved. John the one whom Jesus loved. The apostle. 
And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I saw, 22, no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. (laughs) Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. And now we pray... Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that inspired this very word spoken today, may you inspire in us your words to us. Call us by name, we pray, and help us then as we say yes. We pray in your name, amen. We are closing in on Pentecost. This is the sixth Sunday of Easter. We've got one more, seven, the perfect number. You've seen that number lots in in Revelation. It is a whole week, a full week. And then we move into the season of Pentecost, the season of the Holy Spirit. And here, again, we are reminded that what we find at the end is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the A. And the Z, Jesus. This week I was at Adtran with my small group and I saw a military person wearing, uh, you know, their BDUs and, and they, had a, they had an Alpha and Omega symbol on their, on their shoulder. And I came up to him and said, well, what's, is this a religious symbol, this Alpha and Omega? 
He said, no, 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 we're, we are um, something about logistics or something. We, we, do, we do things from beginning to end, you know what I mean? And I was like, okay, yeah. Well, I know another one that does things from beginning to end, right? There is one who is Jesus Christ who is telling a story. And it's the greatest story that's ever been told. And we are a part of that story. We are characters, if you will, in that story. Uh, The psalmist in Psalm 139 says, Please don't forget me, O God. Why? Because when the author stops writing the story, when a character is forgotten, they are lost in the pages. But not to this one. You are precious in his sight. And he is wanting to finish your story and make it beautiful. No matter where you are right now in the story. No matter how many times you have forgotten your lines. You have acted out of character. He wants to come and say, hey, get back on the stage. Let's play. Because life shouldn't be drudgery. It should be joy. And many times we fall into simply trying to appease some God in the sky. And this is not the Christian God. You see the Christian God here. Notice the prominence of God Almighty on the throne, which is really the center of all of reality. I mean, if we really want to find the, the, the pinpointed place where all reality flows from. It is the throne of God Almighty. But also the Lamb. Did you notice how many times paired with God Almighty on the throne is the Lamb of God. And the prominence of the Lamb will grow here in these last two chapters. Because, again, as we've been saying from the beginning of this sermon series, at the end is Jesus Christ. And we must know him now in order to enter into the life that he has for us. Because it's not something that we are waiting for, for his life can today, do you believe this, be communicated in us. Why? Because eternal life is knowing Jesus Christ. Christ and the Father who sent him by the Holy Spirit. You see this Trinitarian language, and this is why, this is why the number three features, even in Revelation, as an important symbolic number. It's a quality number. It's not about just the quantity. We're always uh, concerned with the quantity in our you know, day and age, but here they're using a number in its quality form. You say, what does that mean? Well, it's just like when you want to use a quality number, you'll say something like, man, I've been trying to do this for a thousand days. It's like, why would you say a thousand? Why not 946? Well, it's because we all understand a thousand is just a numeric number with strength, Right? It's not, we all understand, you don't mean literally it's been raining for a hundred days. But instead you're using it in a qual, as a quality number. Three is a quality number. It's a number of unity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's what our atoms are made of, right? Proton, neutron, electron, in unity. That's how even the building blocks of life. It's almost as if he stamped his image in all things, which... 
I think he did. But in Revelation, we also find a lot of contrast, even in the numbers, because there is an unholy trinity in Revelation of Satan, of the Antichrist, and of the false prophet. And all that the enemy can ever do is take the goodness of God and try to spoil it. You see, God is only good. I think that's worth repeating. God is only good. And He's good all the time and... Now sometimes that thing gets on my nerves when people say it. I'll just be honest with you. But it is a true statement. It really is. Uh, can I just be honest enough? Is that okay to be honest? I don't, want to, I don't mean to offend anybody, okay? But, but sometimes I'm just like, okay, okay. I don't think you really believe it. You know what I mean? Like, like the way you're saying it, you just like the way it rolls off the tongue or something. I don't, I don't know that you, we really comprehend that when we say that God is only good, we really mean that? Like there's no bad in Him. There's no darkness in Him at all. But that's really difficult for us to see, isn't it? I mean, so to speak, in, the, in this world of brokenness, in this world of evil and darkness and sin and disease and death, it's very difficult sometimes to see how it is that God is only good. I mean, because we say to ourselves things like, if He's only good, then why am I in this situation? Why am I suffering? Why am I in mourning? Why do we have tears? And that's why I want to remind you, my brother, my sister, that these are some of the most important words we have in the Bible. Because what they tell us is in the end, not in the middle, not three-fourths of the way through, but at the end, he's going to make all things right. Remember where we started? When something happens at the end... It can change every bit of the way that you look at everything else. I mean, childbirthing, raising kids, working for a living, and getting to a point where you retire. These things we look back fondly of. You know, people will tell Jessica and I sometimes, oh, you ought to love these days of diapers and tantrums and... You're going to miss it. And I say, well, I'll, uh, I'll be glad to miss those days. You know what I mean? Because right now I'm in the middle of it. It's not very fun. It's very taxing. It weighs on you. It gets on your nerves. I don't even know that I have any nerves left. You know what I mean? <laughs> Start twitching. Um, But when I see my son walk across the stage, you see, one day, when I see my son join hands with a lady, when I see my children come to know Jesus Christ, their creator, when I come to see my little Baylor leave for the mission field one day, a a dream that God placed in his heart, you see, it's all worth it then. Every Working minute is worth it then. Not until then. (laughs) But then. 
You see, we don't live just by our eyeballs, do we? We live by faith. We're people of faith. It's good to remind ourselves sometimes that what we see in front of us is not all there is to reality. And I need an amen right there because that is the truest thing that you're going to hear this week. What's right in front of your eyeballs is not all that there is to life. There's more, and we know it. Why? Because the door of heaven, John says at the very beginning of his book, the door of heaven's open. Do you remember that in chapter 4? I love the way it begins. Just, it says simply, the door of heaven is cracked open. And he's able to peek inside and give us a vision of what is to come. Something that we could not see in the trees or in the mountains. Even though the mountains, the trees, the river, the sea, night, day, light, sun, moon, all of this is symbolic as well. This is why Revelation begins to be a bit difficult for us to read. We're not used to this sort of poetic, apocalyptic symbolism. I mean, it's hard enough for us to read poetry most of the time. And sometimes we get frustrated with it. It's like, why don't you just explain yourself? But have you ever noticed that sometimes in explaining it, you end up killing it? I mean, if somebody says to me, okay, big guy, you're going to be married for 15 years on Wednesday, so tell me about Jessica. Let me just tell you, words are going to fail me. Why? Because there's a lot to Jessica. There's a lot to you. There's a lot to me. There's things that we still discover about ourselves later on in life. (laughs) I saw this as I lived with my grandparents, you know. thought to myself, when Pappy and Mimo they had been married for, I remember them celebrating 55 years. I, I don't know if they got beyond that. I'd have to ask somebody. Not good with numbers, but, but I know they celebrated 55 years. And, and you know what? I was living with them, and guess what? They still argued. Can you believe that? It's like they get in the car, and they start arguing. I'm like, Pappy, seriously, man. Like, you've been together this long, and you still don't understand all there is to know about Mimo. That's right, they don't. Mimo's tough to understand, and so is Pappy, and so are you, and so am I. We're complicated creatures, aren't we? But that's kind of part of the beauty of life. No, I'll have to try to give you an explanation, but in explaining, Jessica, that's always weaker and less than Jessica. In other words, I'm going to have to say at some point to you, you're just going to have to meet her. And when you meet her, you'll begin to see what I'm trying to talk about. Because words fail us, doesn't it? They do. And words are failing John. But John's trying to communicate some things to us. And that's why he's using everything in his arsenal, which is poetry, which is this apocalyptic Genre that we've been talking about. And so maybe for us, let's do a little two-step here. One, I'm going to analyze just a couple things, and then I'm going to point to something else. First off, I want to just simply look at this great mountain. And you'll remember, and I just want to remind you because you already know, there's a lot of neat things that happen on great mountains in the Bible. Moses. God calls this God creates a nation, his nation, 
His holy people, who will be the seed of the church. Right there on Mount Sinai, He calls them to Himself. But not only that, Jesus does His work, does He not? In Jerusalem, which is on a mountain, on the hill called the place of the skull, or Golgotha. And then, of course, now, John all of a sudden sees, not with his eyeballs, but with the eye of faith in this vision. He is now on a great and high mountain, being given this vision of what? A holy city coming down. And you know what? Within all of our cities, and it's great to live for America and for Madison and Alabama and all this kind of stuff, but you know what? We, I just want to remind you, we are citizens of another city. And that city, friend, is already coming down, impinging on this city. In other words, sometimes we will deviate from the city of man and side with the city of God. Because before we are an American citizen or a citizen of Madison or Athens or Decatur or Huntsville, we are a citizen of the king. And our allegiance, first and foremost, is to God and not to man. And so he sees this city that's going to eventually take over all cities. And you saw it. I mean, it would take me 40 minutes to describe the beauty of all the... I mean, we skipped over, if you notice, and there's a reason for that. Jack told me the reason. He's like, man, engineers will love 21... What is it? Two through... Two through eight, or actually, it's even further down. All the way from two, verse two, all the way down to twenty-one. It's a bunch of measurements. You know what I mean? It's a, and basically, there's this cube that comes down, and it's transparent. The point is, it looks like a diamond. Now, I've been to New York City, and that was pretty amazing. I mean, it's just a place where you're just kind of like, "Wow, this is insane." I think I just came here just to look at the buildings, you know, because it's pretty magnificent. But this city is going to pale in comparison. I mean, there's been some great cities throughout history. Rome was one. Babylon was one. New York was one. But this city, all those cities are only scratching the surface of what this one city is going to be. Take out all the bad, add in all the good, diamonds, gold, all the bling. That's what this city's coming down and looking like. The point is clear. It's pure. There's purity. You don't look into this diamond and see cloudiness. It's purity. It's like glass. Actually, even the gold here is like glass. And then there's this river. River of life. And again, bright as a crystal. I've seen some clear clear rivers. Not like this one. And there's the tree of life. And again, we come to something that, that God has sort of built into creation. I mean, I don't think I'm the only one who likes trees. Trees are awesome. I mean, a, a, a tree is just, again, something that I just sort of catch myself looking at. They're amazing, especially big ones, awesome ones. And notice how many movies, how many stories feature a tree... As important. 
What was that movie with everybody blue in it? Uh, Avatar. It's a tree. It's a tree goddess. Now, when I went to when I went to India, they don't have as many trees as we do here, right? Just you got to know that. But every tree they have is an idol. Every tree. And some people have argued that that's actually where we get the knock on wood stuff, you know? Is you knock on wood because that's where the spirit is. There's always a spirit in a tree. Always. So every tree I passed, people have little trinkets and candles and what have you that have laid at that tree. Why? Because in India, every tree is a spirit. Well, look at, look at not only in mythology and religion, but look over to our great stories such as Lord of the Rings, the Ents, right? They're some of the oldest, the wisest. You see, there's something special about trees, and there's something special about trees in the Bible. You see, the point is, if you're going to write a good story, you've got to know the story that God is telling and, and whatever, whatever kind of places you touch that story are going to somehow touch us deeply in our heart. We don't even know why. People don't even know why that they would be drawn to something like that. And yet they are. Notice in the beginning, there's a tree. Right? The Garden of Eden. There's a tree. Notice Noah. There's a tree. You say, where? Well, after the flood, remember? Release the dove. What does he bring back? Olive branch. A tree. New life. You see, a tree represents life. It's the point of it. You see, this, the, what I'm showing to you, we're analyzing some of these symbols, some of these numeric symbols, but also some of these nature symbols. And here's the problem. Pagans worship the symbol. The symbol is meant to point to reality, right? I mean, the best way I can illustrate this, and well, since it's summer, I'm not going to get it off. Um, typically I can, you know, kind of slide it off, but, um, this is a symbol of my marriage. Now, if, you know, if I lose this, my marriage is not lost. Now that's why in mythology, you know, the token matters. Like if you lose that, it's it's an omen for something to come. Like your marriage is in serious trouble, bro. But for us, no. No, 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 no. This is a symbol of what I have with Jessica. It points to Jessica. It is not Jessica. The symbol is not the reality. In mythology, the symbol and the reality are one. Not so in God's world. That's the mistake that's made in all the other religions except for the monotheistic ones. But here, for us, these symbols, these trees, these mountains, the reason we like them so much, intuitively, naturally speaking, is because God is the one who designed these symbols to point to him. Isn't that awesome? I mean, just think maybe next time you see an, an amazing tree. Just be like, thank you, Lord. That's a sign from you of life. Life. Not only that, Noah to Moses, remember? When Moses gets his call, what's there? A tree! A burning tree! <laughs> Actually. And, and I mean, I could keep going, but notice Jesus. What's there? A tree. It's a tree. 
And then now, the tree of life. The tree of life. <laughs> I mean, this is some beautiful symbol. I don't know if, I mean, maybe I'm the only one who likes that kind of stuff, but I, I just am filled with all the movies I've watched, all the stories I've heard and read. That's why they make sense to us. Well, then, finally, we move past the symbol to reality. 22.4 says, we'll see his face. The very face of God. Now, you can't look directly at God or else you'll die, right? In the Bible, you're done. Now, we can. Why? Because we've been made like him by now. By the time we get down to 20, like once these events unfold, we're going to have a glorified body to be able to behold him as he is because we will be like him. We cannot do that now. You know, it's kind of like when the sun is setting, you still don't want to look directly at it even though it's kind of, kind of dialed it back a little bit. So what you do is you kind of, you kind of look over here and in your peripheral, you kind of get a, oh, that's a sweet sun today. And you're like, hey, hey, bro, the sun's over here. You're like, no, I got you. I, I see it. It's over here in my peripheral. Now, over here, it's, I can't see it. No, yeah, yeah, I got you. I'm looking right at it. We can't look at him directly now. Do, do you see, friend? Do, do you see what I'm trying to get to? These are symbols. Everything, everything in this place, they're symbolically pointing us to Jesus Christ. That's why we take time to change these colors out. It's why we take time to put a, put a picture like this of the Lamb with the seven seals we talked about, with the banner for victory, with the cross already victorious. Nature is singing to us every single day the glories of God if we could hear, if we could see. God, would you help us to see? Would you help us to hear? We can't look directly at him right now, but we can sure look along the lines that he's given to us. And C.S. Lewis is really helpful here. <laughs> because it's great to analyze and try to understand all the symbols and all this, you know, numbers. I love all that stuff, and many of you do. But, but there's something more. Because the reality of God is more than the understanding that we can gain through the symbols. There's an old, well, it's not, it's not old, but it's a, it's a, uh, Peter Crave used it all the time. He says, he says, a philosopher went to heaven and he was asked, would you like to go into heaven or have a lecture on heaven? And the philosopher chose the lecture on heaven. And it's funny, but some of us, we would rather, let me, let me look into it a little more. Let, let me, let me, I like, I like what you're saying, but let me, I think I need to hear a little bit more. I think I need to study a little bit more before I really go all in. And there comes a point where it's not going to work. There must be a decision made to go in the door. You've got enough information. You know this is a good God. And someone who is the Holy Spirit is already pricking at your heart, already bumping you on the shoulder of your soul, saying what he's saying is right Walk through the door. There's no more time for learning. It's time for action. It's time to say, I do. There's never a good enough time. There's never enough money. There's never enough in that analysis. That's why it's got to stop at some point and be faith. And so Lewis illustrates this in his essay called Meditation in a Toolshed. 
He's just amazing. I love that guy. I, I, he's actually one of the people that I'm really looking forward to meeting in heaven. He probably won't like me, but I'll like him. He'll be like, hey, can we get that guy to stop following me around? Like, I, you know, I mean, yeah, seriously, man, you know. It's got, you got eternity, bro, you know what I mean? <clears throat> he, says, he says, upon entering, upon entering a dim shed, Lewis recounts how he saw this beam of light shining from the door, like a, there's a crack in the door, there's this beam of light. And you probably had a similar experience. You, you're in a dark room, but there's a beam of light coming through. You, you, know, you know what that looks like. There's, you see the dust particles, right? Little speckles of dust that's kind of going through the... But it's only this beam of light. And he, and he says, he says um, at this point, Lewis recognizes that, that this initial experience involves just looking at the light. But then he moves. You know, here's the beam. He moves to where he can actually see it. Like it falls on his eyes. He's looking directly into the light now. And now he sees everything differently. So there's two ways to sort of see You're looking at the light. And now he's going to look along the light. And he says this. Instantly, the whole previous picture vanished. I saw no tool shed. And above all, no beam. Instead, I saw... Framed in the irregular cranny at the top of the door, green leaves moving on the branches of a tree outside and beyond that. And beyond that, 90-odd million miles away, the sun. You see, he's no longer looking just at the beam. He's looking along the beam. Two different experiences. It's kind of the simple difference between a young man falling in love head over heels and a scientist coming along and saying, let's analyze that. Your chemistry, your chemical processes, your biological draw to her. And it kills it, doesn't it? Demystifies the experience. But instead, (laughs) he's no longer looking just at it to analyze it but he's looking along it to see further than was ever possible if we'd have stayed in the shed point is to me don't stay in a shed don't stay in a dark shed of your life that's not all there is to this life like I said what's in front of you is not all there is because guess what the door of heaven has cracked open and guess what that means the light is coming into the world and has come into the world. It is here. Some of us are still looking at it. We need to start looking with it. Who is the light of Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Would you have enough faith today to look not just at the light and say, yeah, that's pretty cool. I love how those, that dust is sparkling up and it gives me a little bit of light to make my way through life. But instead, look directly at it. Look along with it. Because that's what he's created you for. Let me tell you, I don't think some of you are really getting it. Because here's the thing. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. But some of us are too comfortable in this earth. And therefore, heaven is not much good news for us, is it? 
would you dare to look at reality? Because here's the reality. There's a little boy, four years old, in a hospital bed that's septic right now that probably may not even make it through this week. That's the world we live in. A world where an honorable man that served our country over 20 years in the Air Force can't even put his pants on anymore. Can't even get in the bed or out of the bed unassisted. That's the kind of world we live in right now. And the Bible says this about that. There will be no more sea. You say, I like the ocean. No, 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 no. You're misunderstanding. The sea represents chaos. You had chaos come into your life? I mean the kind of chaos when a doctor tells you you're eaten up with cancer. The kind of chaos when you find out someone's cheating on you. Someone has lied to you. Someone has gossiped and broken trust with you. That's chaos. There will be no more sea. Amen. I need that. One minute I'm on a wave, the next minute I'm drowning in this life. No more. Only a crystal sea. I saw death shall be no more. A father carrying a casket because he could. Because who was in there was less than two years old. That's the kind of world we live in now. But will be made right. Because death will be no more. I'll never forget a little boy riding his bike near our house when we were growing up. I think he was seven years old, hit by a drunk driver. Death will be no more. Life snubbed out of him too soon. And it's always too soon, isn't it? It doesn't matter if you're 97. It's too soon. Something's not right and we know it. He'll make it right. Death will be no more. I saw (laughs) and there was no more curse. That's what John says. No more curse. What is that? It's the restoration of Eden. That's what it is. It's the great reversal. Have you seen what ALS does to a body? Cancer? Paralysis? All sorts of diseases and ills in this life? Cripples a person. No more curse. No more suffering. Every tear wiped away, never to cry again. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. I like this one maybe the most. No more night. How many times have I seen somebody all of a sudden fall into the darkness and never come back? Be no more night. No more night to hide in. Friends of mine, turn on the faith and go into darkness. Leave their family. For what? Dark, what's in the darkness? I can tell you what's in the darkness is not for us, friend. 
If you're considering stepping into the darkness, whatever that darkness may mean, don't do it. Go to the light. It's a simple saying, but remind yourself when you're there, go toward the light. At the end of all things, go to the light. You're on the last rung. You don't think there's a way out. Go toward the light. And I don't mean through death. I mean the light of Jesus Christ who is life and light. And in him is no darkness at all. I mean, this is, a, this is the best news that we have, friend. And if it's not good news to you, then today is a day to check yourself. Because maybe you've made your home here. And I'm here to tell you, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Please don't make your, your final dwelling here. No, hold on to the things of this life lightly. Receive what he gives you. And let him take what he will take. Because here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.9. No eye has seen. And he's quoting Isaiah, by the way. No eye has seen. No ear has heard. And no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. We get a sneak peek here. You want to see more? Start looking along the light. The light of his word. The light of Jesus Christ. The light of the Holy Spirit who guides us and is a burning flame within us. Can you see it? Look with the eyes of faith. That's why we sing. If it was all about explaining, I'd just sit here and do a lecture. I'm not doing that. This is preaching, friend. And preaching is meant to challenge you to check yourself today to make sure your home is not here. We're citizens of another city. And that city is already coming down. Thanks be to God. The darkness is already turning today. May we be in the light as he is in the light. It's time to stop analyzing and start walking in the light. This is an invitation for you. Be, courage, be encouraged that God is on the throne. Rejoice that the Lamb has accomplished it all. And let joy flood your soul today with the incredible, impossible possibilities that only God can do. Have faith. Look up in hope. And live in love. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.